This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Hi, I'm Andy Bradshaw, and in this podcast series, I'll be having conversations about supporting coaches to deliver great coaching. Today, we welcome Andrew Gillett, Senior Coach Developer at UK Sport and with a wealth of coach developing experience across a range of sports. We're exploring the theme of observing coaches in their practice, and the start point is where exactly this happens. Coach development has to happen where coaching's happening. And although that does sound obvious, you have to have a view then on not just where coaching happens and when it happens, but there's the sort of the, the substance of what you think sort of the edges of the coaching session are. You know, I mean, is it as simple as the coaching happens during the hour, as you say, or, or actually much more likely, I think most people, if they sat for a moment, would say, well, well, there's probably a briefing before and maybe I need to be there. Maybe that's where the coaching happens. We think about some of the ways that we might structure practice and there'll be plenty of coaches out there that we've worked with who will, will consider that the more you do in the setup and the planning for a session, the less intervention you need to make during it. And that, of course, then has implications for, for what we might see, doesn't it? Mm. We might see lots of intervention prior, not so much during. And I think most people would say, well, there's the, there'll be some kind of debrief and maybe I should be there. So how but, do you decide what you're going to watch? Well, so I, I definitely have to take a view on where I think the coaching's most likely to happen. And if um, I suppose if I was working with someone for the first time, I'd just go to everything, literally everything. So, for example, when I've gone to work with people when they're on a camp, then I've normally been there as early as I can in the morning and stayed over or stayed as late as I can at night. I have a particular image in my mind of seeing a debrief, but then sort of another debrief that you never would have captured, which was where once everyone's relaxed and they go for dinner, they carry on talking about the session, and they carry on talking about what's going to happen the next day. So I go and see it all. Once I was beginning to get into the rhythm of working with somebody, then it's about just having a view based upon what they do and the way they they interact with athletes or athlete where does coaching happen but I, I haven't got a you know I can't say to you well it's it's always in the briefing or it's always in the debriefing but you, you just, it's just taking that view and in terms of framing an observation with a coach what's the what the what are the things that you consider in terms of getting the coach to understand what's what's going to happen yeah, so you mean preparing them for and making it feel okay for them? Mm. Well, first and foremost, like many of my colleagues, I'm never forced upon anybody. There's always a choice there. So I know that some of my colleagues um, actually probably are sometimes in situations where they need to go and do an observation for a coach because it's part of something. I don't, I don't have that. So there's never that, oh, why are you here? You know, there's a, that you're invited. Mm. But also, the framing does begin with being able to begin to generate sources of feedback for that coach with a long-term view. I'd always be vocal and open about this. The long-term view is that 
what you're trying to do is, I think, increase their ability to generate those sorts of feedback for themselves. So you end up being extrinsic feedback, but ultimately you're just there to try and catalyse that and so you can leave them to it, basically. So there's that, again, that sense that they're the resource and to a certain extent what they generate is what we will work with. It's not, I'm not trying to go in there and create some big explosions by, oh, I bet you've never noticed this and I bet you don't know this. But I would also begin to use the language of whatever conceptual framework I thought was most appropriate for the kind of work we were going to do. So whatever thinking tool, whatever concept feels to me to be most appropriate to the kind of environment, the kind of interactions with athletes, whether it's a team sport or an individual sport, whatever it is, then I would try and use that language because ultimately as I observe what's happening with that conceptual framework, model, picture, diagram in mind, then inevitably that's helpful in that it helps me to attend to things that I might not normally attend to, but as a consequence there are things that I'm not going to attend to. So you mentioned sources of feedback, can you just give some examples of what those sources might be? Yeah, so I think a really a really powerful one is expectation on behalf of the practitioner you're working with. So I, th I think that the, the more that they're able to articulate what their expectation of themselves and others in the session is, you might say, what's the goal, what's the objective? But really, more finely granulated than that, like um, particularly in a team sport, you know, the emotional temperature, how are you going to deal with individuals, how are you hoping that certain individual players might respond today and why, what's the purpose of that? The more you can get into the grain of that, then the more potential I think there is for them, for the practitioner, the coach, to be able to make a comment on that afterwards and reflect on it. And of course the more potential there is for them to see a gap between what that expectation was and what the reality of the session was. And I think over time, the reason that's so potent is because over time, you really can step away from that process. You don't need to be there. So we talk a lot about reflection, but I'm not so confident that without a very, very vivid picture of expectation, that we get very, very deep or intense reflection. So that would be an example. Okay. And in terms of, you know, we talk about a coaching observation. Could you just describe or try and describe well, what do you actually, what do you as a coach developer actually do throughout the process of an observation? So in some ways you know Andy that I'm going to say it depends, absolutely depends on so much. So being in a gym, watching a coach in judo, working one-to-one -one on a technical session I would do different things to a randori session. I'm definitely going to be doing different things to standing on a golf course in mid-November in sideways rain. What would you see happening? Is that your, kind of your question? Or what do, yeah, what's I going think, on in my mind? Or? Yeah, a bit of both really. So note-taking, attending to certain things, looking for certain things or looking at the broad picture. How, does, how do things flex and change? Yeah, so what I would often do not always by any means, what I would often do is mic up the coach 
I'd never do that the first time I saw them. So a, a principle there, one thing you would see me doing is seeking first to understand before seeking to be understood. And if you have the luxury of a long-term long -term relationship, by that I mean 18 months, two years, then you can afford a few meetings to just be settling in. But you'd often see me put a mic on a coach, set up a, set up a camera and set that rolling. And that will give me a timeline. And you'd also see me either set a stopwatch or just check my watch, wristwatch, so that if significant things happen, then I will have some kind of timeline, not just so I can find it on the video, in fact I might not go and do that, but so that I've got an idea of what's happening and when, and how much stuff's happening and how much stuff isn't happening. And then, with that done, feeling free to then roam around, then I suppose I spend a lot of time looking at the individual interactions because I'm very interested in coaching through a social lens. That's one of the ways I like to look at stuff. If there's more than one athlete present and I have an image in my mind of golf, oddly enough, probably because I just talked about golf course in November, which was a horrible experience, then I'll, I always make sure that I'm watching the athletes who are not in interaction with the coach to see what's going on there and see what their reactions are. I'm always interested in what groups of athletes say to each other or their facial expressions or their glances after a coach has spoken to them. I'm interested in all that stuff. And although you can't see it happen, what I'm really thinking, if I'm videoing, is that I'm also trying to if you like, superimpose in real time a thinking tool that I'm using to make sense. And usually I use what I would call the not-so-diamond diagram, what you might call the not-so-diamond diagram. Bob Muir's work, Andy Abraham, Abraham Morgan Muir's work, that, all of those iterations of, of the, um, the coach planning, review and reflection framework, because I think it's not only is it a useful conceptual tool for us to use, but the language is dead simple and you can share it with coaches if you wish to. And then what you might also see finally, or you would see, is latterly, if it's appropriate, if you're trying to provoke a particular kind of reaction or uh, find a certain piece of information, you might then find me coding that video in order to take along to a subsequent meeting where I can say something like, you spend a lot of time doing this and not an awful lot of time doing this. Is that what your expectation was? Uh, but I absolutely do not put a value judgment on it. I suppose you would if you said, you know, do you know that you spend 90% of your time shouting at the athletes? I guess you would detect some kind of value judgment in my voice. Mm. But normally it would just be, this is the picture. I noticed that doesn't match what you told me you were going to do but of course we also know that coaching's a dynamic process so I'm not that bothered if someone says I'm going to do this and then they don't but I am really interested if they're quite shocked by those data. Mm. And you mentioned video, any other bits of technology that you might consider using that would, would give you further insight? Yeah so um, I use this wicked little, I think it's a wicked little system, which I call the eavesdrop system, which I think probably sounds quite sinister. It all depends where you use it, really. 
It's, it's a, exactly, which is why it sounds interesting. Yeah, so I, I use these tiny little Bluetooth receivers, audio receivers. They're brilliant. They were designed for weightboard coaching. So you can get these little boxes, little, they're waterproof, and they're a fantastic, something stupid, like a 1K range. And, um, and you can listen... You can have up to three people listening in, so I've also found it useful for coach developer training. But these little boxes are super light. They can be more appropriate for some kinds of environments. Uh, and they allow you to listen in. And I think the listening in is, is the most valuable thing because although I use the video as a tool and I use the, the audio from the video as a tool, wireless it's very rare that I don't have a really vivid picture of what's happening anyway. And I don't really work in environments where I can't see at all. It has happened, definitely. But normally, just being able to listen in, isn't it? And listen over the din of water splashing or balls being hit or whatever it is, or crowds even. And so just being able to listen in and hear the interactions between coach and athlete is the most valuable stuff. So I love to use that. But most data generation just happens using my eyes and ears, to be honest. And I mentioned before about looking, looking at, looking forward. Do you tend to have a framework in your mind about what you're looking? Are you looking at the whole? Are you looking at specifics? Or is that dependent upon what you're working with the coach on? I think, although I don't know if I've ever answered this question before and therefore I'm I'm winging it like we always are in these kind of things. I think you start off just looking at and eventually you're more and more looking for. So you, Because I think when you start working with someone, my view is that if you bring with you a conceptual framework, a thinking tool, a diagram, whatever it is, you know, as I said before, that although it's helpful in attending to some things, as a consequence there are things you're not attending to. Now, I'd also accept that if you just go there and look at everything, then you equally are attending to some things and not others. Well, what I'm end up doing is I'm framing the whole thing through what I think sports coaching is and what I don't think it is. It seems a bigger frame to me somehow. And as you get more experienced and more pragmatic, which is what I think happens with experience, your view of what coaching practice is becomes a bit more expansive. So I just go and have a look, but then over time you are, of course, trying to constantly problematise thin-slice practice with the coach. The coach is helping you do that. Much of that is driven by the coach, because when they say, that isn't what I intended, I suppose an obvious question would be, I wonder how that happened. How did we end up doing something? How did you end up doing something you didn't intend to do? And whatever comes out of that, probably begins to more and more narrow focus. That word problematise, is that your description of how you would help the coach understand why they're doing things? Is that bringing to life problematising their work? Yeah, it's making a problem out of things that you might otherwise not see or not even consider to be important, but that can come out of that conflict between expectation and the reality. And just say, well, how how did that occur? I, I, I intended to remain silent today, and I spent the day talking. How did that happen? Oh, I got asked things, and I need to respond to them. Or, I, 
is a very different response to something like that. Something like, I just feel that, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm not speaking, then people won't know that I'm in charge. <laughs> Two really very different uh, reasons. And, and then there you have, you suddenly created a problem out of something that might otherwise have gone ignored. And yet that's fertile, fertile ground. And you have touched a little bit on post-observation. What would happen? Can you just talk through you know, your normal process of you've set up an observation, whether that's video, whether that's listening in, whether that's just watching and seeing, so eyes and ears. What would be the, the normal Bearing in mind there'll be an it depends <laughs> comment there. But what would you normally do with that observation with a coach? So one of the one of the things that happens sort of immediately after an observation remains one of the most problematic parts of the job, I think, and something that I have still don't really know what to do with. Which is a sense that's when someone invites you into their environment and particularly when you have you develop a relationship but you know you're near the start, there's an obvious and, and reasonable question, which is, could I have some feedback? But I think there's some practicality there, which is that the coach developer is just as human and fallible as the coach and anybody else in the environment. So at that point, I don't really know what I think. Or if I do think, if I'm really clear on what I think, that in itself is a warning sign to me that what I really need to do is step away look back at my notes, have a good think, use the thinking tools available to me and my experience to begin to make sense of my experience. But this person's saying, could I have some feedback? There might also be the practicality that they're super excited by a great session, energised by the fact that someone else is there to support them, but there's no getting away from the fact that it's half past nine at night, you're wet through, you've been on the road for 11 hours, you're not really in any good shape to give feedback. So I would normally at that point, at the moment, say something like, the things that I'm really thoughtful about at the moment, and I would make me kind of the object of it, but I begin to reveal some of the things that I'm thinking about. Sometimes you see that look of, oh my God, that's hit me like a ton of bricks on the other person's face. It was never your intention. And at that point I realise that we're in for a long night because actually now is the time to feed back. Mm. But what I try and do is create enough space so that we can arrange to meet subsequently and then depending on the kind of session, that could just be a chat. I noticed that. Was that what you intended? Or it could be go away, codify the data, that is. What kind of things happened and how many times did they happen and how often did they last for? What was the duration of those? And then take that back to augment that conversation. It kind of looks like that. And I suppose, I mean, you've done plenty of these observations in plenty of different sports. I'm just intrigued. What, what have been your key lessons learnt over that process? You know, waterproof casing for a camera. <laughs> you know, actually, right. some of the practicalities of actually, what, have you, what were lessons have you learned along this, along this journey that would help anybody listening? Yeah, so there are plenty of places where uh, having people with recording equipment is absolutely unwelcome normally when people are in states of undress like swimming for example so all of the best planning in the world and all the greatest kit is going to go nowhere when you arrive and realize that you're just not allowed to do that that uh, what else have i learned i've learned that there are some really really 
brilliant and expensive waterproof camera casings and stuff but I don't think anything beats very large freezer bags and some gaffer tape. I've learned that you definitely need tripod stands that fully open out so they'll go super wide and sit close to the ground because I think I'm on my third camera and god knows how many wireless receivers through them just being blown over despite spending more and more money on tripods <laughs> that there are some sports where coaches like to get involved and they won't wear a, a receiver because they'll either hurt themselves or they don't want to break the kit uh, oh my god I mean I've learned that you need three sets of spare batteries not two um, and I've learned that waterproof paper and all of those kind of gadgets, like this even, you know, these little, like those clipboards with the cover. Yeah. I mean, none of that stuff works, does it? Just like, <laughs> just just put your hands in your pockets and, and just start thinking deeply. Oh, yeah, and finally, I've, I've learned that if you're going to walk up to the wicket to talk to a coach, because it seems to you like a really, really good time to make a brief intervention, just be aware that the outfielder may have thrown a cricket ball accurately and at great velocity at the wicket and you're now in the way. Mm. I learned that in Somerset. (laughs) (laughs) And on that cautionary note, we'll finish today. Uh, Thanks very much to Andrew for sharing his insight and experiences. This has been Coach Developer Conversations podcast number one, but more will soon appear on the ukcoaching.org forward slash resources webpage. Thank you for listening. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.